Well, I want to dive in uh, in our third week of our series, simply Christmas. Nothing more, nothing less. Christmas. And uh, I want to talk about the search. The search. You know, Christmas is all about the search. Searching. It seems that everywhere we turn these days, we find someone who is searching, looking, trying to locate something. We bounce from store to store, searching for the perfect gift. We, we're searching for the prettiest Christmas tree that we can buy. Uh, we, we, we walk into our closet. We're searching through our clothes, looking for the best outfits to wear for Christmas. Uh, we, we go through the cookbooks, searching for the best recipes. Uh, we surf through channels, searching for either the best football game or the best Hallmark movies. Whatever, your choice, okay? But you're searching. We look in our house. Look at our houses, searching for the best place to hide away from relatives. <laughs> searching. Finally, last but not least, we go through our wallets. We're searching for the best credit card to pay for it all. The search. And that's Christmas. Christmas is centered around this idea of the search, of searching. And this attitude of searching we see this 2,000 years ago at the very first Christmas. A number of people whose lives were centered on seeking and searching. I want to dive into the Christmas story in Matthew chapter number 2. The Bible says that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem. Now, let's just stop here for a minute. There was a group of Magi, or wise men. Uh, they were studying the stars one day. They were doing the astronomy thing, and, and they were searching, and they were looking up in the stars, and God revealed to them a sign in the stars, in the astronomy, that the that the Savior, the Son of God, was to be born a king and a Messiah. By the way, every time you have someone who is truly seeking God, God always reveals himself to them. And we see this happening. And so these wise men, they're seeking, and, they, and God has revealed himself through the star. And, and so the wise men, they pack up everything you know, in their luggage, and they, they kind of load up the camels, you know, the caravan, and, and they travel thousands of miles, thousands of miles to find the Christ child. And the travel takes them to a city, a place that they have never seen before, called Jerusalem. And so we pick it up again in verse number two, and you see the wise men, they came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
By the way, uh, uh, this reminds me about men. Okay, this reminds me about me. This was before you could find it. Uh, you have a map on your phone, or, you know. The, you know, you have an app for that. You know, but this was before that kind of a time. This is when you had the paper map, or or someone gave you direction. Uh, I remember one time when we were living in Florida, um, we had to go to a party in Alabama, and the direction we got was when you see the third stop sign, take a right. When you see the bay hail, take a left. When you see the uh, cow in the yard, you know, that's where you turn into. And I'm like, really? And, uh, and seriously, that was the direction we got. And um, <laughs> so, but, you know, when we had the paper map, you know, uh, or direction, uh, or mapquest.com, which never made sense for us, okay, because the roads were always, always a different name than the roads that we actually knew. But, you know, we had these things, and uh, we'd be out and about, and it's apparent that you're lost. And my wife would be driving with me and she says, Scott, are you lost? I said, I'm not lost. I said, yes, you're, you're lost. I said, Karen, I am not lost. I am going in the right direction. Now, mind you, it's the general direction, north, south, east, west, okay? But I'm moving in the right direction. And she said, okay, you know. About four or five miles go by, and she says, Scott, you're lost. You need to pull over. Whoa. I mean, that is beneath a man to pull over to some random gas station and walk in and to find direction. I said, Karen, I am not doing that. that is, no, we will figure this out. I am not that lost. All right, so I admit a little bit. Okay, I'm not that lost. And finally, you go another five, ten miles, and you find yourself pulling over. And you're walking out with your head in shame, okay, because you know that you've got to get directions, okay? You're lost. And, and the wise men right here, you know, they're, they're looking, and they have to stop and ask for directions. It kind of makes me feel good to tell that story, okay? But the wise men are lost, so they stop for directions. Hey, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And verse number three, when King Herod heard, when he heard this, the Bible said that he was disturbed. And not only was he disturbed, all Jerusalem with him. Now the word disturb, it means panic, nervous, extremely cautious. You know, why, you, know you got King Herod, why is he so, you know, why is he so freaked out? Now, why is he so worried? What's the big deal? And to understand the why behind this passage, we got to blow the dust off the history book to understand who King Herod is. Some call him King Herod the Great. That's the name. By the way, that's the name he gave himself. All right? That would be like, you know, calling me, hey, I call myself Scott the Great. I mean, you can give yourself the best name you want. But the reality was King Herod was more like King Herod the Psycho. For example, when King Herod was born, he was born with power. His father taught him how to get power, how to maintain power, and how to destroy anybody that gets in the way of his power. When King Herod, now he's in his 20s, he saw his father with the king before him. He saw his father murdered by close people, his inner circle in the, in the palace. And, and so he saw that happening, and so and King Herod remembered and so when he became king at the age of 25 years of age, he decided to have a huge party. 
He invited everyone to the party who had a part in his father's death. And then in the middle of that party, after everyone had been uh, inebriated a little bit, you know, in the middle of that party, King Herod ordered the hitmen to come into the party and to systematically kill everyone in that party, that party in with a bang, so to speak, right? And that is how he started his 30-year reign as king. He was so paranoid with power. He had his wife, grandmother, and, and he had his wife, brother killed. Um, he killed three of his own sons. That's how paranoid he was. He killed one of his sons a week before he died. You know, he was, King Harry was on his deathbed. And he just saw his son a little too hungry to replace him. And so he had him rubbed out. That's <laughs> psycho. That's crazy. Now, listen, there were some good things about King Harry. You know, some say he was very kind and benevolent, you know, to the common man, to the common people. He had uh, yeah, food pantry and clothing drives and food drive. Uh, in fact, he decided to finance out of his own pocket uh, and rebuild the temple for the Jewish people. All right? He wasn't even Jewish, but he just thought, man, I want to get these people to like me. And uh, he didn't do it because he was a nice guy. He just wanted people to like him and want people to be on his side of things. And, and so to kind of give you the end of King Herod's life, uh, and he knew he was going to die. He was on his deathbed. It was his last year of his life. Uh, and he noticed that people were a little excited he noticed that people weren't really sorrowful that he was dying, all right, for many reasons, you know. And so he kind of picked up on that. And so he decided to call together the favorite sons and daughters of the kingdom and invited them to a giant party. Now, by then, if you got an invitation to a party by King Herod, you're a little, you know, a little nervous about it, all right? And so he, he throws a party. And, uh, and again, in the middle of that party, he had all the favorite sons and daughters killed so that the entire country could be weeping so that when he died, people were already in weeping mode, okay? And they would be crying and be sorrowful for him. That's how messed up he was. He was a little off his rockers, a little crazy. And so we go back to our text. We see the why behind the verse. It's in verse number three. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with them. Here are these naive wise men. They have no clue King Herod is. I mean, this is, you know, they live thousands of miles away. No one knew what politics was happening in other, other parts of the world. They come walking in, skipping into town, saying they've heard a new baby is being born, a new king was born. And I'm sure all the inhabitants in Jerusalem were telling them to be quiet because they didn't want the king to hear about this. And the Bible said that when he heard it, before he got back to him, right? He was disturbing all Jerusalem with him. In other words, when King Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy in J-Town, okay? I mean, this is not good. Now, why was he so disturbed? What was he afraid of? Herod's afraid because he was the king. How dare someone comes around and to be the king? How dare someone come around to take his throne over, to take over his crown? 
I don't have a lot of kingly experience. You know, I reserve my kingly experience for my time that I spent at the home of the Wappos, okay? That's about as much kingly experience I get. But I've got to believe that if you're a king, and you got another king born in your own backyard, and you're insecure about this, you know, you're going to bring some serious fear and anger into this thing. That's what's going on with Herod. Uh, and, and so we don't, we're not going to read it, but in verses 4, and the next few verses, in verse 4, we, you know, King Herod, he pretends to be the godly man. He invites all the religious leaders and the scribes. He says, hey, I want you guys to come in. And I, I, I hear that there's a Messiah that's supposed to be born. Show me from God's word where this Messiah is going to be born at. I think, oh, that's easy, King Herod. It's supposed to be born, this person, this Messiah, to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod is making a list. All right, Bethlehem, okay. <laughs> Let's write that down. And then in verse uh, uh, number seven, uh, he makes another appointment. He invites, he invites the wise men to come to the palace. You know, he kind of rolls out the red carpet, you know, just kind of, he says, hey, I'm so glad you guys are here. You're, you're powerful people. You're wealthy people. You're, you're, you're super knowledgeable of the world and everything going on. And uh, I'd love for you guys to just kind of unfold your astronomy chart, your star chart, and tell me about, you know, the, the star and about how long ago you started this star. In other words, how old is this baby? You know, this new king. And, you know, the Messiah, uh, the Magi, you know, the, the wise men, they, they didn't know any of the battle here. They're thinking, oh, okay, you know, he's really interested, you know, about this new king. And so they say he's about one and a half to two years old. And, 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 and the king here is like, great, that's so awesome. He writes that down his little list, one and a half to two years old. Bethlehem, number one, one and a half to two years old. And he said, hey, guys, listen, it's, I want you guys to go. Find the child. And then, you know, get the address for me. I need the address for my list. Okay, I need the address so that, you know, I can find the baby and I can come and worship him uh, too. And so, yeah, we'll do that. So they leave and, you know, he's checking, he, you know, he, <laughs> he made his list, you know, King Herod made his list. He checked it twice. He said, I need that information. I need the address. And then he's doing all this. Because he can't stand the fact that there was another power to challenge him. He's thinking about how do I get rid of this Messiah so he doesn't come and steal my crown. And so he manipulates everybody. He turned, he turned the wise men into double agents. They didn't realize it. All right? and, and the long story short, if the wise men, they find out later on that Herod was the psycho king, and they didn't go back to report to him the street address where the child was born in Bethlehem. And the Bible said that Herod was so angry that he called in his hitmen, told him to go to Bethlehem and to kill every male child two years of age and younger. He thinks that if he wiped out everybody under the age of two, that he would eliminate the potential king Messiah. For Herod, he was on a search all right. You see, if anybody had power, if anybody knew power, it was Herod. 
He had it. He had incredible power. He leveraged his power. This guy was into power. But here's the key thing, and I want you to get there. Although he had power, it would, uh, he, he had enough human power to kill thousands of innocent babies. But it was just human power. I want you to understand that human power always has a limit. It always wears out. It always runs out. Later on in this chapter in verse 19, something happened to Herod. Two words in that verse. And here's what happened. Herod died. Dead. Done. Dead. You know, taking a dirt nap. <laughs> They're pushing Daisy. One bait. It's over. Kaput. He's gone. There was nothing more of him. His human power was met by the ultimate power of reality, and that is death. And you see, Herod, in his search for more power, he missed it. He missed what he was searching for. You see, when Jesus came, Herod thought that Jesus came to threaten him. No, Jesus came to really save him. You know, Herod thought that Jesus came to make his life uncomfortable, to challenge him. No, Jesus came to bring him peace and comfort. Herod thought that Jesus was going to steal his power, but Jesus came to give him real power. Christmas is all about the power, real power, and that's what Christmas is. And when we celebrate it this week, it's all about God's power on display. It's all about God's power in action. Let, let's go back to the other churches, the wise men. Verse number nine. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed when they saw the star. These men were truly seeking the power, the power. And every time, my friend, every time a person is seeking the power, God will put a star in that person's life, an earthbound star to point him to Jesus to point him to that Christ child. If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go back to the time before you knew Christ, before you had faith in Christ, before you made that faith decision. Do you remember what your life was like? Remember how you were kind of floundering around, kind of searching, didn't know who Jesus is. You knew about him, you knew about God, but you didn't really know him, but you were searching, you searched for this, you searched for that, and you thought you could find fulfillment and satisfaction in other places of this world. Remember that. Remember that time before you became a Christian. God put an earthbound star in your life. He put one in my life. And for a minute, I want you to assign a name to that star. Think about that person who would point to you to Jesus. Maybe with a Sunday school teacher. Maybe with a parent. Or maybe with a, a, a coach way back then pointing you to Jesus. 
maybe with a friend, could be a pastor, it could be a, hey, it could be a combination of several of these stars, pointing them to Jesus, pointing you to a savior. And that was just stars. You know, God still put stars in our lives. Thank God for that star. Thank God for that person. This week, I'm going to challenge you to do something different, something crazy. All right? Something out of the norm. I want you, if you can, if that person's still around, I want you to write that person a, a, a letter or send a text message, maybe a phone call, and say, hey, thank you for being a star to point me to Jesus. Thank you for helping me in my spiritual walk, in my spiritual journey, for helping me to see who Jesus is. Every week at Lake Point Church, now people are showing up here, they're seeking, they're searching, they're looking for the power, they're looking for the way, the truth, and the life. They're searching. And the wise men, they had an earthbound travel guide, the star, to point them to Jesus. And I've got three thoughts here. What happened when the wise men found Jesus? If you're taking notes, here's the three thoughts. Number one, the wise men, when they found Jesus, they gave him their devotion. They gave him their devotion. Look at verse number 11. On coming to the house, let's stop here for a minute. It's coming to the house, not a manger. All right, remember, the manger, you know, and the, 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 the camel lowing and the sheep, you know, whatever they're doing, all that kind of stuff, okay? That happened two years previous, okay? The manger story, all right? And so, you know, a little nativity set that we have in our, you know, in our house, it's a little bit off, okay? You see the wise man around the manger? That didn't actually happen, okay? There should, there should be a house in this point. They found a place to live after two years. And, uh, and, and Mary and Joseph are not living in the stable for two long years, okay? So they found a house to live in. So if we go back to the story, right? They're coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary. And they, you know, these multimillionaires, these power players, these people so well-versed in natural science, they bowed down and worshiped him. The wise men were wise enough to say, okay, this is where the bus stops. And I'm going to worship him. They bowed down and worship. To worship means to express Love to God. They gave Christ's child a physical sign of worship. They, the Bible said they hit their knees. They worship him. Now, put yourself in the time, okay? I want you to just imagine, be, be a wise man. You're walking in, and you see a two-year-old baby Jesus, toddler Jesus, now, I don't believe Jesus had the terrible tooth, okay, because he's the perfect child of God, okay? But he's still, nonetheless, a baby, a child, probably running around in diapers. <laughs> Someone's checking out your diapers right now, so okay. 
and the wise men humbled themselves. They saw more than a baby. They saw the Savior of the world. You think about the humility of these men to worship, to get on your knees, to bow down and worship to this child. My friend, you're here today. You're on a search for God. You're on a search for this Savior. You're trying to find something to save you. I'm here to say that there is a man named Jesus who is still alive today. And we just have to come to a place in our life where we say, you know, God, it's not about me. Uh-uh. It's all about you. I am nothing without you. I can't do this on my own. I've tried. I've tried to be a religious person. I've tried to do all the stuff. I've tried to do all the traditions. And I still, at the end of the day, feel empty, feel like I miss it. My friend, we have to come to a place where said nothing else matters but the one who died for us, the one who saved us, the one who did it all for us. And when we recognize that, we become humble and say, okay, I'm a sinner. I still fall short, even on my best days. I still fall short of the glory of God. And these men... They worship. They recognize who they were before God and devoted their life to him. The second thing about these wise men, if you're taking note, they dedicated their lives to Jesus. The Bible said in verse 11, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These wealthy people gave him gifts that cost a lot of coins. In fact, some scholars believe that these gifts financed the, the, the trip that Mary and Joseph and, and Mary had to take to get to Egypt. Some scholars believe that this right here financed the trip to get out from King Herod's threat. When think about these gifts. They gave him gifts of gold. These wise men recognized that Jesus, this little two-year-old diaper-wearing Jesus, he was the king of kings and the lord of lords. And they recognized that. They gave him some incense for frankincense, which is something that you would see in the Holy of Holies where the priest would offer incense to a holy God and this was the way that they would communicate and pray to God. And they gave that. They recognized that this little baby Jesus was the, the, was the savior of the world. And then they gave him myrrh, which is an oil that they would use for burial. They would use this as a spice for burial after a death, and these wise men knew that Jesus came to die for them and for the sins of the whole world. These men gave Jesus their life. I love where Pastor Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be living sacrifice. That's what God has called us to be, living sacrifice. We would give our heart to Jesus. That's why I want to be a living sacrifice. 
for you. The wise men, they dedicated their lives to Jesus. And here's the third thing. The wise men changed their direction. Verse number 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They were devoted. They dedicated themselves to God with their gifts. And then they changed their direction. You see, true worship, true worship always, always entails a change of direction. In my life, if your life is not changed due to worship, then we truly haven't worshipped the King of Kings. Now, every time we walk into church, we should say to God, we should pray, say, God, I'm looking forward to going out of the place, a new person, a different person, a changed person. I always pray, God, God, I want to leave here differently than the way I came in. Because I want to see you high and lifted up. And I want to worship you, and I want to see you who you are. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, for I am undone. That is the heart of our posture of worship. We say, God, I, want to, I just don't want to go through the motions. I'm tired of living through the motions. I'm tired of just walking through and just, just hey, this is what I got to do on a Sunday morning off my checklist. And I pray there's more than that. that. We come to church because man, we want to see and experience the presence of God. And when we see and experience the presence of God, he can change us from the inside out. The wise men, in their search, they found what they were looking for. I know we have some people in this room this morning. You're here today. You're searching. You're in the search. You're just trying to figure it all out. Some of you, you know, some of you, you're just, you're just tipping your toes in the pool. You know, trying to figure out, do I jump in? Is this where I go? We're just tipping our toes. We're just trying to figure it all out. We're on the search, on the hunt. I know we have some here, you're looking for the answers, and you're looking for satisfaction. I'm here to say today, to this, I'm here to say that Jesus is all you need. He's everything you need. And just like the wise men, we can come to God and say, God, here I am. My works and all, my sins and all, my problems and all, and I have fallen short. I need you. And I humble myself. I, I devote myself to you. I get on my knees and I bow down to you because I know who I am. And I have fallen short of your perfection and I need you in my life. And I want to live my life. I want to dedicate my life to you. I want to be a living sacrifice for you. I want you to have it all. And I want to be changed from the inside out. See, my friend, that's what Christmas is all about. That Jesus came as a little baby. He was born to live a perfect life died on a cross for you so that we can find true power 
that can only be found in him. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wise men and what they discovered 2,000 years ago and how you changed their life from the inside out. God, I can't imagine that there's someone here today. They're on the search. They're seeking. They got, they're looking for answers. And the fact is, we don't even know what the question is anymore. We don't, we don't even know what we're looking for. But God, I pray that today, that they will see that in their Christmas season, it's about a child named Jesus, who grew up to live a perfect life and became our sacrifice. He became the payment for our sins. And for some of us here today, maybe the search ends because this is about Jesus. All, have, all roads have led you to this point in time, in this moment. The star, the earthbound star in your life has led you here in this place. It's no coincidence, not by accident that you're here. It's just, God, you're talking to me. And I've been looking, I'm tired of looking. I'm weary, I'm, I'm broke down, I'm messed up. You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And today, you can leave here, change. He said, I don't have all, I don't know everything, that's okay. Here's the fact, Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. And he wants to take your punishment for you. And all you have to do is to ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and be your Lord and Savior. The Bible said, why will that sinner Christ died for you? He didn't wait for you to clean up. He, you may be in your mess right now. God loves you right now in your mess. And he wants to save you from it. Bible says all you have to do is cry out to him. Prayer, a simple prayer. Not praying it to me, not praying to anybody in the church. Pray directly to God. And God is in this moment. God is in this place. The presence of God is here. And he's waiting for you. The ball's in your court. He's waiting for you to just give your life to him. In the silence of your heart, you can pray a prayer simply like this. Say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell and eternal separation from you. But today I recognize that you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you're the Savior, the Messiah. And you're all that I need. And I'm asking you, I'm inviting you into my life to come into my heart my Lord to be my Savior 
I'm asking you to change me from the inside out. I don't have all the answers to the Bible, but that's okay. I just know you. And I trust you. I trust you to do what I cannot do on my own. I cannot save myself. Today, I want to be a child of God. Thank you for coming down 2,000 years ago, being born in a manger. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for salvation. And no one's looking around, but I just want to celebrate. You just got in this moment. I prayed that prayer, and I asked Jesus to come to my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to have everyone look at No one's going to look at you. Just me. I just want to recognize who you are. I just celebrate because this is a moment. This is an awesome moment. The moment that the wise men found Jesus was an exciting moment. And this is an exciting moment for you. If you ask Jesus to come in your life, and you just pray that prayer. And say, God, pray that prayer. Is that you? Will you raise your hand? Is there anybody in this room that said, man, I just ask Jesus to come to my life? I see that hand. Anyone else? I ask him to come to my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life change that you're doing in our lives. I pray that we will live our life for you as we seek you. I pray that we will leave here differently than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, now we're going to uh, spend our last few minutes together for our our last in-person service of the year, and we're going to do that by way of candlelight. Oh, don't take the house away yet. So if you, um, if you have kids who are in elementary right now and you want them to be a part of this, now is a great time. Go ahead and go get them. Um, and uh, if you have kids who are in preschool or in the nursery, it's, it's up to you. It's optional. If you want to go get them and bring them in here, then go ahead and bring them in here. We're going to sing a song uh, while we do that. If you don't have a candle, um, if you head to the back, there's baskets. Um, that our auditorium host team have, and they will uh, they'll hook you up with one. We want to make sure you can enjoy that. But uh, everybody else who's already in here and has your candle, way to be on the good guy list, on the nice list, good guy list is not a thing. <laughs> Would you stand and sing with us?
us out. Our auditorium host team, they're going to be coming around with lighters, and they're going to help us get started together. You know, part of the reason why we do this is we always like to, to kind of close out the Christmas season with this, and it's different this year. But you know, for thousands of years, there have been people that have tried to take this out of our world all throughout history. And here's what we know about our God. He is absolutely unstoppable. So we like to have a moment where we sing together and we remembered that this started with a small ray of hope with a group of shepherds, eventually some wise men, and a family that was chased out of their home. But it could not be stopped. There's no one in this room that hasn't lost something this year. Something that's been taken from you or someone that's been taken from you. We want you to know that our God does not waste a hurt and he is unstoppable. But it does take a unified people to see it happen here. So we want to sing together and have a kind of a special moment. I think you know the words. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace.
See?